Hello, everybody. This is Paul Miller, and you're listening to the Tuna Town Talks podcast, located in Venice, Louisiana, the fishing capital of the world. Hey, everybody. This is uh, Captain Paul Miller. I'm here with uh, Tom Hilton today. We're out going. We're here at the Mississippi Gulf Coast Billfish Classic, and I set up kind of impromptu at this picnic table we're right by the fish cleaning table so if you guys hear people come up to us and say hey that's that's because of where we're at but um we're also brought to you in part by uh, yellowfin vodka and so tom this is your bottle you can take that home with you yeah, and i tell you it's really good it's like a charred vodka so it's nice. almost like a whiskey it's, it's really good yeah, yeah kind of. looking forward to trying that one out <laughs> cool well um Go ahead and say, I'm gonna hey, put some in my coffee right now. Hold on a second. It's <laughs> a pretty cool tournament we got going on here. Um, it just takes time. Weighed in a nice fish last night. It was like 790 pounds. Yeah, giant. almost an 800 pounder. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, we'll get to talk to them. But um, anyways, uh, Tom owns uh, Hilton's, which is the. Uh, tell us what that is, Tom. I'm gonna butcher it up too bad. Uh, it's an it's an online mapping service, a subscription service that tracks all the satellites, the uh, sea surface temperatures, and chlorophyll, and altimetry, and currents, and so forth, and topography, and we overlay with uh, fishing locations, um, you know, wrecks and platforms and spars and drill ships and semi-submersibles. The, the drill ships and the semi-submersibles move around quite a bit, so we update those every few days. Um, you know, we launched our service here at the Mississippi Billfish Classic 17 years ago. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool to talk about it now, right? That's yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's been a, really a, a, a cool deal. It's uh, almost, you know, it's it always falls on, our, on my wife and mine's uh, <laughs> anniversary, so it's, uh, it's kind of a tradition now. The family, my wife and and kids, when whatever kids are available at the time, we'll, uh, they're all growing up now. Yeah, going different directions, but uh, I'm here with my wife and my daughter and her boyfriend. Uh, so we've been here all week. Nice, and nice so it's man. a good vacation. That's pretty and cool. And they helped me out. And, uh, so how'd you uh, how'd you get started in uh, doing that? Like, tell us from the bottom, man. Take oh, us wow. as much time as you need. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Graduated from Texas A&M, uh, degree in architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked in the architecture field for five years and then started a, a furniture manufacturing, design and manufacturing company. Had that for 15 years. Um, bought a computer program to help design furniture. And um, I learned how to use that program by um, making my own fishing chart every year. I'd make a little uh, laminated chart, probably you know, two foot by three foot, uh, that had Sergeant Texas as the center of its universe on it. And, um, and I mean, long story short, I don't make uh, furniture anymore, I make fishing charts. And um, I knew towards the end of the 90s, I was going to uh, try something different. Um, and so um, I was looking around and ended up uh, going down to Mexico and, and doing some uh, wild harebrained schemes down there with, you know, fish painting on docks on, down in Cabo and um, that, that didn't work out so great. I was, I was lucky to, to get out of there with my life. It was kind of crazy <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I came back and um, 
came here to uh, actually that was in October of 1999 and uh, <clears throat> I was in a sponsor mode I was looking for uh, on these fish prints we were ironing like soul beer was the sponsor and um, so when we came back here the Southern Kingfish Association had a magazine that I was looking at and had all these sponsors on there I'm like honey look at all these sponsors we're going to we're going to Biloxi there's uh, the uh, national championship was here in November of 99 <laughs> and uh, I found out pretty quick that the uh, the Marlin crowd and the Kingfish guys were a totally different market when it term comes to trying to do fish prints you know so uh, I'm out there on the dock trying to sell artwork and uh, <laughs> you're trying to do like uh, the guitakus yeah guitaku printing and um hey that's a nice kingfish you know you uh you need to make a print of that and yeah said, well, i don't know who this guy was i wish i did uh he was out there on the dock over here somewhere and he kind of had blinders on he's like oh uh, no no i'm not interested in that but uh if you could show me where the fish are i'd, I'd be interested in that i'm like well you know I was already kind of looking at that. I mean, how do these guys from North Carolina or the guys from Texas, which, you know, the SK circuit went mm -hmm. from Texas all the way up to North Carolina. So you got all these teams coming from all these different states coming here to Biloxi to fish the nationals. So how do they know where to go fish? And I was already making my own charts, you know, at that time. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was already kind of into that. And, you know, it's real rudimentary as, you know, hand drawing contour lines and just uh, very, very, you know, this started at the bottom on, on that. And hmm. so I went and met with uh, one of the best. Uh, what year was this whenever you were just getting? 1999. 99, wow. And so um, I, I met with Marcus Kennedy at his place up there in Mobile. And uh, I said, hey, let me see the chart that you're fishing on. And, and he pulls out a big uh, laminated NOAA chart with all these grease pencil marks all over it. And I said, that's it? He goes, yeah, that's all we got. And so he helped me to lay out the, uh, uh, the format when, you know, we first started making paper charts and chart books. And so he goes, um, yeah, Mars Ursa is the end of the universe. You know, so <laughs> like, okay, so that's made, I made that the end of my, the southern part of my charts. And um, so, you know, got into production and uh, ended up getting in Academy Sporting Goods and West Marine and a uh, bunch of marinas uh, across the Gulf. And um, after about, I don't know, two or three years, you know, I got kind of frustrated with it because if I wanted to change something um, or add new spots or if there was a mistake or something, I couldn't. I couldn't change it until I reprinted, and I couldn't reprint until I, I sold our inventory. And so I told my partner, uh, David Finkelstein, I said, hey, uh, <clears throat> we need to go to the internet. And uh, he goes, what do you mean? And I, I made up a mock-up, and it's uh, fairly close to what we have today. It's just, uh, you know, the left nav bar with all the different op mm -hmm. options, chlorophyll, altimetry, right, C right. temp, so forth, and then the, the mainframe with the the chart and so forth and he he goes well, we're doing this you know so he was <laughs> he was instrumental helped helped quite a bit on uh, getting everything uh geared up and cranked up and um 
for all the listeners tell tell them exactly what it does like today okay um well it's a uh, map server so we're tied into a bunch of different satellites uh, you know american NOAA, and nasa and then uh some european satellites that we uh, generate the images from a lot of it from metadata uh to create the image and then um, stage it onto a server and <laughs> there goes Crawl Gator. There comes. That was Cuz. He he was on the episode too. <laughs> he was. Yeah, yeah. He's a good dude. Yeah. I I work down in Venice. I'm a guide down there. So. Oh wow. Yeah. So oh. I, I know a lot of those guys. <laughs> yeah. There's one one thing is guaranteed. If you go fishing uh, with Bill Butler, you're gonna. You're gonna well, two things. You're, you're gonna, gonna have a good time. Number one, <laughs> you're gonna have a good time. Number two, you're gonna eat good. So. Uh, <laughs> And uh, they they hung in some good fish this weekend. They yeah, just, uh, it sounded like it. They had one that was that was huge, and it ended up breaking the hook. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> breaking the hook. Man. Breaking the hook. Yeah, I don't know. What I want. I don't know if we want to talk about. What kind of <laughs> 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 oh boy. Yeah. That was, that that's that's one of those things that'll make you real mad. <laughs> yeah, we had a, a great time. My wife and I. Where did you, you did you guys fish? Or? No, no, we were just. Down, you know, the big party on the docks before the tournament. And, yeah, uh, yeah. We went down and uh, got on the crawl gator. Of course, they got the the, the Cajun music blaring, yeah, yeah. and he's <laughs> doing dancing in the cockpit. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, he's so a good time. He was telling me about this uh, this tournament they're having in August, the middle of August, uh, over there in Venice at the Venice Marina. So, sounded like a really cool deal, but it's going to be all cane poles. All cane poles. Yeah. So Man, like, I haven't heard about it. I'm going to have to talk to him about it. Yeah, yeah. He's got a logo, and there's a guy going overboard, and on the side it says, He gone. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. So, yeah. He's, uh, I'm going to try to make it over there, but I'm not sure I can. I've I got a scheduling conflict. But no. Cool, cool. Well, anyways, back to what we were talking about. So, the, uh, <laughs> so, Hilton's is basically satellite imaging to where, like, we have a lot, like, for everybody that doesn't know about, uh, like, the northern Gulf, we, we have the Mississippi River, so you have tons of dirty water that's constantly getting dumped out of there, and then blue water that mixes from the loop current. So, knowing exactly where that blue water is, is kind of, like, essential to where you make your decisions a lot of times. So, people can buy the subscription and they can, you know, see exactly where that blue water is and make their decision on where they want to go, as well yeah. as other things. Right. Yeah, it's uh, constantly fluctuating there out of the river. The river rip is always moving out, and then it'll contract, come back in. So it's, you know, recently, you know, if you look at the imagery, the red on the image, on the chlorophyll image, means it looks, that's a dirty, fresh, brown river water. Right. And then um, those are, like you were saying, it's full of nutrients and God knows what else, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it uh, interacts um, and interacts with chlorophyll and then phytoplankton and uh, it, it all just kind of is the beginning of the food chain. It's a nutrient-rich environment and so it'll, um, it'll really help with, you know, nurturing bait and right, right. growing fish and so forth and so uh, you can track and see um, edges uh, you know color change edges or uh, tent breaks which 
will be where your weed weed lines are if there's any weeds right. out there and there are plenty of weeds out there right now uh, <laughs> and so uh, you can track and see which way they're moving and how fast so you yeah. can intercept them so i hear a lot of people pay attention to like altimetry too so like can you explain like what that is exactly? yeah altimetry is um it uses the same technology as your state trooper uh he's shooting you with a radar beam and measuring your distance and calculating your speed mm -hmm. and the satellites do the same thing they um, they shoot radar beams down through the clouds so it's one of the few imageries that's not affected by clouds and um, it bounces off the surface of the ocean and then um, puts the waves through an algorithm and it creates a mean surface height of the ocean every day. Mm -hmm. So it makes a contour chart of the ocean surface. And so zero is mean sea level. And then you have the, the isobars are five centimeters uh, differential. So uh, right. you'll see these bulges. These are uh, in warm colors, either yellow, orange, red, those are downwelling, clockwise rotating downwelling warm core eddies or the loop current as well. Mm -hmm. And then your depressions, which are cool colors, uh, blue, dark blue, or your upwelling counterclockwise rotating uh, cyclones. And so one of the reasons that the, the, the area here from the Mississippi Delta over to say Destin is such a world-class fishery is the proximity of the loop current to this area. So um, you have these downwelling currents that push everything down, including the nutrients. And so for every action, there's a reaction. And so a byproduct of these warm core eddies are these upwelling nutrient-rich cyclones. And it's, so they're constantly shooting these cyclones here to the, towards the delta or or towards uh, the double nipple or the, the spur in that area. So it's conducive for growth. Uh, these upwellings bring the nutrients up from the, from the bottom of the ocean up to the surface, and then the nutrients interact with sunlight, and it's the beginning of the food chain. Gotcha, gotcha. So again, it's all about uh, food, you know, when we're at the, you know, the bottom line is really... Uh, right, so like... Basically, it's like a, it's like if, if you had like a balloon full of water and then like it's like bulging in different areas. Is that kind of how it is in a way? Yeah. It's I, like simple layman's terms from dumb people like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I understand. I mean, people, a lot of people have come to me, wait a minute, you mean an upwelling is a depression in the water? I mean, right, it seems right. to me an upwelling should be a bulge. And I go, yeah, I kind of get that. Uh, but... I kind of look at it as having a like a water hose in a bucket and mm -hmm. you point it downwards and you're pushing it down well that bucket the surface tension on the top of that <coughs> water is going to be bulging out mm -hmm. i don't know that's just a, <laughs> probably not a very good example <coughs> now the big assumption with altimetry is that the bait is free flowing with the open ocean currents and so a big kink in the works on that concept is um, the introduction of all these deep water oil structures out there, the spars and the oil platforms and uh, drill ships, semi-submersibles. So the bait 
is sticking close to the structure on these and <clears throat> this no longer free flowing with the open ocean currents. So if, if the bait's not leaving, well, guess what? The, the predators aren't. aren't leaving either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So when we launched the site 17 years ago, um, we were the first service to show altimetry and show the, the importance of it. And so, and we were, of course, new to it mm -hmm. as well. So we would tell everybody, hey, you need to uh, stay away from these red areas at all at all costs because they're bad. You know. <laughs> Well, over the years, uh, we'd get reports from various guys say, hey man, I was over here at Nakiko and it was in really bad red altimetry, but we slayed the tuna and we caught a marlin. I'm like, wow, okay. So, you know, we're all learning all the, every day. I learn something new. I, you never, nobody knows everything. So we had to kind of change our shift on that. and. Uh, so now we'll say, hey, if you're, it depends on the kind of fishing you're doing. If you're open water rip fishing, yeah, I would certainly be looking at the altimetry and paying attention to it. If you are rig fishing or you know fishing drill ships or in spars, you can pretty much throw the altimetry out the window. Yeah, that's really a non-factor. <laughs> Because so, the bait's going to be there no matter what. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Or not. On, <laughs> right. I mean, all things being equal, if I have the opportunity to, to fish a, uh, a structure that's in good altimetry versus bad, I'll, I'll go to the one in good. Right. You know? um, but let's just say that if a, if a, a rig is in a, in a bad altimetry position for a sustained period of time, then there will be a depletion of fish out of there because it's not it's not being replenished right, uh, right. And so in other words i won't tell you not to go there because it's a bad altimetry um, but once they catch those fish then they're not being replenished right, right. You know that saying? makes sense so, that makes complete sense yeah, to me. yeah. so um, so would you say like the guys like on the east coast i mean the you offer the service over there right yeah so like would you say that they they have to pay attention to that maybe a little bit more than we would do. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, they have no oil structures. Right, there. they don't have the fads yeah. like It's we all have. just what it used to be out here in the Gulf. We didn't yeah. used to have all these rigs out here. Yeah. Of course, the fishing wasn't near as good either. Yeah. Uh, Man, I talk about it all the time. Like, I really believe that these rigs make more fish. Would you say that that's a... That's absolutely true. They're uh, vertical reefs. They're, they provide essential fish habitat. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when... President Obama issued the Iron Idle Iron Directive back, I guess, around 2010. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We had about 4,000 platforms on the on the shelf, surface platforms that were built on, from the ground up on out there in the ocean, as compared to say the floaters, which are floating uh, cylinders of air that are anchored in place in the in the waters that are too deep to to build. So um, back when Back in 2010, I think we had somewhere around 4,000 uh, surface platforms on the shelf. And today, um, we've got about half of that. We've got about 2,000 left. Wow. And so, it's, it's just kind of surprising to me that the, the federal government, who claims to be so 
conservation-minded. So, yeah, so concerned <laughs> about the, the environment fish and everything. And the environment. <laughs> they are just ripping out these ecosystems um, without any regard to what the, the effects are on the fish. Yeah, exactly. And so when I first started uh, mapping back in the early 2000s, um, you know, going across the Gulf and documenting uh, all the structures that are going that are in the water out there, rocks and wrecks and platforms and whaleheads and so forth. I got over here off of Mississippi and uh, Alabama and Florida Panhandle. I'm like, oh, wow, man, look at what these guys are doing. This is yeah. incredible. <laughs> I mean, they are absolutely uh, just taking the world by storm here by placing all these artificial reefs out there mm -hmm. and so over the years I mean the proof was in the pudding the, so the the Alabama artificial reefing system which I mean their coastline is I'm from Texas so you know I, I could always kind of compare things back to Texas so Alabama's coastline is about as long as from Freeport to Galveston right it's just you know, <laughs> small right it's one long, seventh little, you know the, the length of the Texas coastline but uh, that little stretch of coastline up of Alabama has, at that time, 1,260 square miles of reefing area. Uh, they've added more mileage or square since mileage then, right. since then. Uh, so that little stretch of coast has been producing about 35 to 40% of all the recreationally caught red snapper in the entire Gulf of Mexico. 45%? 35 to 40%. 30, over, 35 to 40%. Over, over, year after year after year, you know. <laughs> It's just an incredible, incredible success story. I, it's just, uh, so you would think that the federal fisheries managers would look at that and go, wow, hey, that's working over there, you know, and, uh, but they don't. It is so crazy to me every time because it's like the red snapper thing with a lot of that or whatever has kind of created a, this bad mentality that a lot of fishermen have that we should be totally against these regulations and all the way against all all of the regulations but the reality of a lot of it when i see like talk to people here and in venice a lot of the people that have been fishing a long time we actually want stricter limits on a lot of different species yeah but we we want to be able yeah. to keep red snapper year round because there's so many of them yep. you know so uh it's really strange to me the way that they've created this kind of like mindset throughout like fishing to where we want to be so against more regulations like it's really only the people that first get into fishing I feel like but like I don't know what do you think about that um I think really it's not so much about the fish it's it's about it's a major movement to convert what all Americans own which is our public trust resources and convert them into private assets for corporations to own. Right. And the process is done through what they call catch shares. Catch shares, yeah, I saw a documentary about that. Yeah, so catch shares is where the federal government carves out a, a percentage of the fish populations, you know, 51% of the red snapper per, in the Gulf of Mexico, for instance, were given ownership to a handful of, of commercial fishing operations. And so they're able to do whatever they want with that 51%. Uh, fish any day of the year. Uh, they can quit fishing at all and, and lease out those fish right. to other commercial guys that don't have quota. And so 
that's exactly what's happened is over the years a lot of these uh, commercial guys they sold their boats and they sit on their couch and they lease out their their fish for what I call mafia style extortion rates which are about 80% of the dockside price so let's say the wholesale price at the dock at the fish house is five dollars a pound um, well these I call them sea lords, so these commercial cashier uh, IFTs. We're talking about American Red Snapper, right? Yeah, American Red Snapper. Um, they'll lease out, quote-unquote, lease out their, quote-unquote, their fish to other fishermen for $4 a pound. Hmm. So the guy that's actually going out and, and catching the fish can only make $1 a pound on that. He has to pay for the boat, the insurance, the docking, the uh, crew, the fuel, the insurance, the bait, nice uh, tackle, everything it takes to go catch those fish. He's got, he's got to do it on $1 a pound. Well, meanwhile, the guy sitting on the couch is making $4 a pound. He's not doing anything. And the American, the, the American public or the, the nation as a whole gets nothing. You know, any other industry that profits from the harvest of our public trust resources is required by law to pay the nation a royalty on that harvest. So any kind of, uh, let's say, mining or timber on grazing on public lands, oil leases here out in the Gulf, uh, mm-hmm. all of those industries pay the government a lease fee right. uh, with you know millions and hundreds of millions of dollars a year. Uh, not here. Uh, they have exempted the uh, shareholders from paying any kind of royalties to the government and in fact have diverted those royalties into their own bank accounts. That's the, that's the whole... Al Capone is... Uh, Man, the way that you are able to explain all this is something like, I wish I could do. <laughs> like I, it's like I know a lot of what you're saying, but the way that you're explaining it is, is phenomenal. Like, it oh, really is. Oh, you, you definitely know what you're talking about. Uh, I haven't made a lot of friends over there. A lot of these... <laughs> A lot of guys don't like But you're me. speaking the truth, man, and that's I what am. people want to hear. You know, you're, yeah. you're speaking the truth because uh, the way that I see it is that, like, if somebody's going to make a living off of, like, the way that I see it, I, I talk about it all the time on my podcast, is that we need to be able to make this a localized resource. So if people are selling fish, like, you can't keep any more than I can, but you have to go develop a relationship with, like, a local restaurant or something like that, and you should make all the money that comes off of that. Like, it should go from, like, you know, like, fisherman to consumer, basically. As close as we can get it to that. You know, but the the way that we're doing it now is, like, we put a price tag on it, and you can ship it across, you know, wherever, and people are multiple people are making money on it and it's it's kind of gross honestly <laughs> yeah but now they're expanding that concept into uh, the recreational sector you know 51 percent of the fish is not enough for them they gotta yeah. they're gonna expand it to around 75 percent of the fish but what how do you feel about that because i talk about this a lot is like like they say 51 percent of this quota this number that they have um like, do you feel like that number is accurate? Like the way that they assess <laughs> stocks of fish? I mean, to oh, me, no. that's just to me the the whole idea of the of the quota and the the amount of snapper that are out there. I mean, they just came out this year and said there's three times as much as they previously exactly. thought. So, like, what makes them think that they're right now? I don't understand. It, but 
Like, what do you think about that? The way well, ex you know, um, the great state of Alabama and the great state of Mississippi, they have each developed their own data collection systems as mandated by the feds. They said, hey, if you can show us that you can collect data accurately, then we'll let you manage your, the fish off of your own coast for the private wrecks. You know, they split the recreational sector into two subsectors, the four hire, the guys that go fishing, the recreational fishermen that go fishing on headboats and on charter boats. And then you got the private boats, which are, uh, you know, people go fishing on their friends' boats and or their own boat and so forth. So they're, um, they're now taking that division and uh, this year they're implementing the electronic logbook program for the for hire sector, which is the uh, what is needed for them to implement catch shares into the for hire sector in the next three to four years, I would say. So right now they can't do it because the charter the charter side doesn't have any landings history. So they're, now they're starting to document everything that hits the deck, you know, whether it's snapper, grouper, king mackerel. Any of the federally permitted, like, charter boats, right? Right. I yeah. work with Mexican Gulf Fishing Company, and, like, I'm not a federally permitted boat. I do all the inshore stuff, but they're talking about it right now. Just this year, they have to be tracked wherever they go, yep. and they have to use this app and directly, like, basically tell them exactly where they fished exactly what they caught is basically the way that i understand it so well yeah so what they're doing is they're mirroring the uh, the commercial ifq um, situation where that's what the commercial guys do mm -hmm. and that's what they've been telling these guys so there's a bunch of guys out of texas that <clears throat> have been feeding the rest of the gulf's uh, charter fleet a bunch of uh, malarkey hey you know what if you uh, if you follow our lead, you're going to get everything that the commercial guys are getting. Well, <clears throat> I don't believe that. I think that uh, certain guys, certain charter guys that are dual permit holders, so they're both a, a charter captain and they're a commercial fishing <clears throat> guy, they, they'll have a leg up on their competition because then they'll be able to go fish their commercial quota off to their charter, their charter clients. Oh, gosh. So they, you know, Scott Hickman over over here in Texas, kind of pioneered this thing called the commercial catch share experience. So it's kind of an end around of the the seasons and everything. Where I've heard of it. Yeah, you basically go commercial fishing with them, and then yeah. you have to buy the fish if you want to take any yeah. fish with you. Yeah. So they call it a free, uh, you know, free trip and. There's no limits, there's no season days, so you can go any day of the year and you go crew on these commercial boats, which are the same boats that at a certain point they're going to say, hey, you know what, we're, we're the commercial, I mean the charter guys are going to say, we're quote unquote accountable and these uh, private wrecks are quote unquote unaccountable. So uh, they're going to deserve getting ownership of the fish. and and catch shares and all that stuff. So I, I'm predicting that to happen in the next three or four years. Um, wow. Then you'll have intersector trading between the commercial sector and the, the for hire sector. And so that gives another market to the commercial sea lords that have the, the majority of the quota. And they can sell 
or lease their fish to the charter guys. And as you know, I was mentioning Alabama and Mississippi creating these great data systems. So you have uh, Snapper Check, I think, or uh, in Alabama, I can't. Sorry, I can't quite remember the name. There's a name for an app, right? Is what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. So that's the they're required. It's it's mandatory for the, the well, I think in Alabama they're tracking both the, the charter guys and the uh, private guys. But in Mississippi, uh, they've got the tails and scales. Tails and scales. Yeah. Yeah. And back in 2010, I had. Um, I'd gone to the sector separation workshop, which was presented as a as a Gulf Council function, but in reality, it was just a uh, a sector separation infomercial that was designed and and uh, created and uh, funded by the Environmental Defense Fund and uh, to promote the idea of sector separation. And at that meeting, I presented a plan called the OFS permit plan, the offshore fish species permit plan, uh, which negated the need for any kind of sector separation. There's no need to separate a recreational fisherman fishing on a private vessel versus a recreational fishing on a charter vessel. Right. And this was uh, basically the what... Hey, it's the, the same thing, right? You're, you're going out, yeah. you're either paying this money to have a boat and everything provided for you or you're going out and buying your own boat. Right. I mean, what does it matter what platform your your feet are standing on? Yeah. Uh, you're still a recreational fisherman. Right. And, and so um, that's what the uh, state of Mississippi used as uh, that they basically cloned the OFS permit plan. And yeah. I presented that 11 years ago. Uh, basically, you have to hail out on an app mm-hmm. and say, hey, I'm, you know, reef fish fishing or I'm pelagic fishing or both or right. and I'm, uh, I've got four people on the boat or whatever and, and when you come back you can you can report your catch and and all that would go up to a database that you could query at any time and say hey uh, how many fishermen went fishing out of Biloxi on uh, June 12th right or the entire state of Alabama you know or right but do you what do you think that will help with because if they're wrong about the number that's out there i mean do you, i mean do you think that that number is accurate at all well that's the whole point is that uh after alabama and mississippi created these really great uh, and i commend their uh, the natural resource i mean their their fisheries commissions on developing these and implementing them now they're being penalized because now the feds are understanding oh dang they're they're actually doing it you know so they're gonna uh they're gonna be cutting the mississippi and the alabama quotas by about 50 percent in 2023 is the plan so they're gonna cut like so they're gonna make the way we keep half as much as we can now yeah and this is right after um the great red snapper count that shows that there's three times as many snapper out there as what the feds have claimed. Right. So it doesn't make any sense. If there's three times as many snapper, why are y'all cutting in Mississippi and Alabama's right. uh, seasons? Why, why would you do that? Right? So they're, what they're saying is, is that they need the same quote-unquote currency, which um, everything is controlled over there by MRIP. So they want to 
quote unquote calibrate the Mississippi and Alabama landings to their knowingly flawed MRIP uh, <laughs> system. It's just a, it's it's insane. That's what I just say is like it just doesn't make sense to me as to like we're counting everybody's fish and you know whether it's commercial or charter or recreational or whatever and we're basing it off this number that is already flawed because we don't know how many fish are out there so like that's just the hard part for me to grasp as far as like where you know like where do you do like like if you were to say like all right tom fix this like what do we what do we do if you if, it, if you could make this, this oh, system well, work what would you do i would uh i would put certain individuals that are that are in the NOAA fisheries and the gulf council in jail that would start there <laughs> and uh i would dismantle uh NOAA fisheries and in turn is in the gulf council yeah, they get nine hundred million dollars a year for stock assessments. Yeah, almost a billion dollars. Yeah, for stock they, assessments around the country. And they, what have they done with it? They, you know, it <laughs> takes a private, you know, uh, initiative to actually get real numbers. Yeah. And so, um, I would abolish those, delegate the fisheries management to the states, as the Tenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution mandates. Any powers not given to the federal government or reserved to the people or the states mm -hmm. and so the federal government is overstepping their authority by um, by managing these fish that are inside of our state waters and outside uh, again you know that you say 51 percent of the quotas for commercial and then 49 is recreational well over off texas uh, we only get I mean, we get a very small percentage of the quota, maybe, I want to say 6%, but, you know, the great red snapper count shows that we've got about 23% of the biomass, and they're larger fish, so it's a more, uh, it's a healthier stock, mm -hmm. um, and so guess where most of the commercial fishing's happening? It's happening over off of Louisiana and Texas, mm -hmm. so um, there, there's no 51%, 49% split there. It's it's probably like 70, 30. Commercial. Yeah, that's and the, and the, and I'm glad you said that because that's like they're saying that like the same snapper that are in Texas are from Florida, and, yeah. Or they're like you know doing it together like yes. When it, like they're taking they're saying 40 or 51% of the quota in Florida, but they're actually catching all of their quota in Texas. <laughs> Yeah, or and they could be. so then they claim, hey, you know, we're we're accountable, we're um, we're 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 using quote unquote science. I mean, we got it. We're science based. Science, yeah. That's science. What they so so the federal government um, split off the the for hire from the from the private wrecks, and they've insisted on managing the four hire sector. So those are all, all the charter boats and the head boats are still managed uh, by mm -hmm. NOAA fisheries. And the private wrecks are managed by, are supposedly managed by each state. And so tell me this, Paul, what's the science that is behind managing recreational fishermen that fish on four hire boats exactly the same whether they're from Texas or from Alabama or Florida, they all have exactly the same season days. Um, despite 
the fact that there are massive differences in ecosystems, uh, biomass, the amount of fish in each area, yeah. and effort. Vast differences. Yeah, there's vast. So over here on the eastern gulf, you got about 70% of the effort and about 30% of the fish. And yeah. the western gulf, you got about 70% of the fish and 30% of the effort. So <laughs> let's say you're on a, a deer lease and you got 30 deer on there with 70 hunters how many deer can you right exactly yeah or you got 30 hunters and 70 deer you know it it doesn't make any scientific sense but they will not answer my questions when i ask them yeah so they're all you know supposedly about science it has nothing to do with science it's all about the thing that i don't understand is like the if they make all these regulations based off of science we can keep three yellowfin tuna per person no matter the size we can keep four grouper per person no matter the size and we can keep 10 mangrove snapper no matter the size and there's no season on them you know and like a lot of fishermen would say if i put six people on an offshore center console which is very normal to put six people on there and you go kill 60 mangroves off of maybe two oil rigs that's a lot of fish to come off of one you know oil rig and a lot of the fishermen would say that that's too much yet the science says that we have enough fish to do that because that's there's no money involved i guess in that in that fish right right yeah (laughs) exactly yeah they've created an imbalance in ecosystems and uh it's really um uh, you know again it's about all them all about the money it has nothing to do with the fish yeah exactly that's what i would say too it has nothing like if they want to say that they're like true conservationists, I have a hard time believing that. I have a, yeah. a much easier time believing that you're just chasing the money and oh, yeah. we put a price tag on a natural resource and you're getting it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say 35 years ago, I went fishing with some buddies out of Galveston and we went to this rig, a GA321, and we had a great time. We caught snapper, we caught grouper, we caught dorado, we kingfish. We had, I mean, we just had a... We just had a blast. Mm-hmm. Hey, that was fun. You know what? Let's go next weekend. So we went out the next weekend. We got out there. It was like, well, dang, I could have sworn the rig was right here. They had just taken the rig out. Dang. And so all those fish that called that structure home were now exposed. And so it was Lost a spaces. massacre, man. They got to go find another home. Mm-hmm. Porpoises were throwing them up in the air. Uh, yeah. Sharks were had their mouths agape. You know, it was... It really uh, left an impression on my brain. And um, so the Ocean Conservancy, I think the uh, Gulf Council meeting was coming to Galveston or Houston about that same time. And so the Ocean Conservancy had a had some kind of meeting at this restaurant that I heard about. So I walked in there and they didn't like, like it when they saw me walk in the room. They were like, uh-oh, you know. So I told them that story. I said, look, you know, um, wouldn't it be better just to leave that rig in place or lay it over and and give those fish a refuge, someplace to live that they're not going to get massacred by the predators? And, and so their response was, well, Tom, you know, those just aren't natural. We want them out of there. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. So it's really not about the fish. It's about some kind of utopian vision that you have for the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> so that's like the most fairy tale look like 
response. I mean, like, I, I mean, if you look, I mean, Alpha Destin, they're putting fads out in 1,200 foot of water. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and, and maybe in the near future, we're going to be needing a lot more food because we have a lot more people. And this is something that is making more food whenever you exactly. have eggs out there. We're making more food for us. And, I, and I'll say straight up that, you know, I was amazed that they, the guys that, First off, let me say the guys that, that ramrodded that are on the other side of the fence from my position here. These are some of the sea lords out of Destin yeah. and uh, the guys that push for cat shares. So I have to give them kudos when they do something right. I mean, hell, these are the first legal fads ever deployed in U.S. continental waters. Yeah. I mean, they have fads off of Hawaii, of course, but I mean, Puerto Rico. The commercial guys did that? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, yeah, Gary Jarvis and I think uh, Kelly Windus. Yeah, I was trying to do Gary so, Jarvis this week, actually. Yeah. 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 So, hey, tell him uh, Tom Hilton gave him a plug. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to drop, drop over. <laughs> have a heart attack on you. But, so. no, that's awesome. I'm glad that that, that, that got done, man. And we're going to, in the future, I mean, we're just going to, they're yanking up more rigs. It's so much more, they can make so much more money off the way offshore reefs. So, they're going to start taking more and more of the ones that we have that are on the shelf. So, uh, so there's the old uh, age-old argument of production versus attraction, and so the fads are fish attracting devices. They are attractors, so they attract bait, which attracts predators. They've been a very, I mean, just very, very successful. They haven't even been out there a year, and they're catching everything from blue marlin to dorado, uh, tuna, wahoo, uh, yeah. and it's in a, a fairly close proximity to to Destin and Panama City and that gives these guys a target to go fish and so um, I think I mean the Billfish Foundation had some concerns about it you know about Billfish mortality on them and stuff but I think they, they understood but uh, do they think but do they not think that like these uh, sorry about the truck uh, do they not think that these uh, fads might make more marlin I mean, because like off Costa Rica, I've, I did a podcast with Lee Alonzo. I don't know if you know him, but he he used to run the Budman a long time ago. Okay. But <clears throat> he said that back in the day, you go down to Costa Rica and, you know, you catch a few sailfish and a few marlin or whatever. But now it's like, how many dozens do you want, you know, because of the oh, fads yeah. and everything that they have out there. So, like, I guess what I'm asking you, do you, do you think that these fads, like, attract fish or do you think it make you think it actually makes more of these predators? Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a scientist, but I do. Uh, I do think they congregate the fish, and um, I mean, if it provides a food source for them, that's the good side. You know, it, it does help them. Um, Makes it easier for yeah. them, right? Like if mm -hmm. you got, if you have like, if you have like a colonization of people, and you have like no grocery stores. <laughs> right. Like, are people going to live and prosper and live, like, long, long lives? Or if you have, like, a bunch of grocery stores on that street, I mean, is it the same thing, you know? <laughs> That's a great question. You know, uh, I think that um, sargassum out on, on the rips, I think uh, that is a really good nurturing uh, structure uh, that helps a lot of bait. Uh, you know, everything from bluefin to marlin to tuna, uh, dorado, right. they all nurse, this is a big nursery for those type of fish. So it provides cover for them mm -hmm. and they, they get into the, into the sargassum and 
But the yeah. bad thing about that stuff is like it's kind of seasonal. Like you don't really have, I mean, you have spurts of, you know, lots of grass and lots of trash out there for bait to hang around. But if you have like fads and they can stay and they can develop a feeding pattern over you, because that's what I think fish do. Just like salmon can find their way all the way up this one stream, they can find rigs and stuff out there off our coast and develop a feeding pattern. Like they might go to this one when the water's like this and this one like that. Cause that's what fish do, you know, they develop feeding well, it's patterns. it's like the midnight lump or the east lump. Uh, I mean, those fish know to come back there every year. And, right. I mean, the midnight lump kind of uh, experienced a, a decrease in decrease, productivity, right. you know, over time. So there's a question uh, on that. But uh, as far as reef fish go, I do believe that these artificial reefs, which are much shallower, shallower water, mm-hmm. they... Uh, they provide the basis for a, a natural reef, and so um, it helps to to develop the, the ecosystems. So these reefs off of Alabama, Mississippi, and the Florida Panhandle, um, there's there, there's no accident that that's why that there's 35 to 40 percent of these snapper being caught off of those reefs is because they've uh, created these ecosystems where none existed before. Right, right. Because right? it was just like muddy bottom, right? Yeah, exactly. muddy, sandy bottom over there. And so the, the argument, the environmentalist argument, which is what the federal government, Roy Crabtree, who's now retired, he was the uh, regional administrator for NOAA fisheries here in the Gulf and on the east, southeast fisheries. Um, their position is that artificial reefs are simply uh, fish attractors, so they congregate the fish, thereby making it easier for fishermen to catch them, and having a net detrimental impact on the on the biomass, which is total BS. <laughs> That's like the most bullshit thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is just crazy. You know that. You know, I've, I've been to several meetings with Roy Crabtree, and they're all about the up. science, man. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah the jury's still out on the, on whether artificial reefs are good for the fish. I'm like. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, We're trying to decide if artificial, like, because I know for the longest time, I don't know if it's still like this, but they don't even take into account the reefs, the artificial reefs when they're assessing stocks because it's yeah, not a natural. Exactly. It's not a they natural They would avoid thing. them. Yeah, they so say, they go out and they fish everything and they go fish in, like, where there's no fish, basically. Yeah, they put a grid <laughs> out and whether they're structured there or not, that's where they would drop. Oh, there's no fish here. Oh, okay, we must have a problem. You know? <laughs> and so... Um, one of the preeminent scientists here in the Gulf is uh, Dr. Bob Shipp. Um, I mean, there are good guys on the council, don't get me wrong. They're not all evil, mm-hmm. uh, corrupt, and greedy. See, I'd like to talk to some of them like I'm talking to you right now, you know, <laughs> to just, oh, to, he, just to hear their side of it. Yeah. I'm going to have to. Dr. Shipp is very uh, available. I, you know, I've always had a great conversation. Yeah, I might try him. and reach out to him. I want you somebody know, to explain to me, like, the way that they develop these numbers and things because that – I feel like that's kind of like the root of it, you know. They develop yeah. these numbers and then just. I don't know. So you know, the so Dr. Ship asked the question at one of these council meetings. He goes, "Well, if all these reefs off of Alabama that have been consistently producing 35 to 40 percent of all the recreationally caught red snapper in the Gulf of Mexico are not producing these fish, then where are they being attracted from?" And yeah, that, I mean, the envir- <laughs> you should have seen the environmentalists, and they were like, "Oh, oh, whoa, man, what?" Man, it, it totally <laughs> took them aback. So, 
they uh, they hired this guy out of LSU, Dr. Jim Cowan, mm-hmm. to provide a, a rebuttal to that question. And <clears throat> basically, they gave him their a preconceived, pre, predetermined answer, and they said, find the the uh, the, the path to that answer with your with your sign quote unquote scientific paper, and so he did. So guess what his what his solution what his answer was? What's that? His answer was that the the reefs off of Alabama were being populated by snapper migrating from the banks offshore of Texas. I kid you not. <laughs> These are, you know, these are residential fish, man. They they don't yeah, move a whole lot. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. I haven't looked at these kind of. I'm sure they can track where these fish go and how they move. I'm sure that they can. You know, I'm sure that there's been some off the that have moved from one state to the next, but yeah, they get they get shifted around by <laughs> storms, um, and you know, if they're the, he, he thinks that there's they're like. Like salmon, and they're 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 swimming against the current. The current is going, right, <laughs> going westward there, of course, and they're they're swimming upstream, and off of Venice, there's a very limited number of miles off of the end of the South Pass there that's mm-hmm. in snapper country. They're not out there swimming in marlin country. They're going to be swimming <laughs> yeah. in relatively shallow water on the shelf. Yeah, they would because, I mean, it's not there's, it's not that far where they would have to pass through. I mean, I know, they, you could be South walking Pass, on. Yeah, from South Pass to, like, the Seven Mile Rigs, which is in, like, 400 feet of water. I mean, it's yeah. literally, like, that's six your, miles. That's your path, you know, so <laughs> you should be able to walk on Red Snapper if that's the case out there. Uh, so I had to call the doc up over there at LSU and say, Doc, did you really put your name on this? And, you know, but like I said, it has nothing to do with that's that's the best quote unquote science money can buy. You know? <laughs> so hate to call anybody out like that, but when you put something out that's such a a reach that yeah. has no basis in reality when it comes to being out on the water, I yeah. have to call it in question. Yeah, I'm exactly. Sorry. I mean, you know, I just, I agree. I think that there's a. I think that there's a big difference between guys that go out there and they fish and they see things and they experience reality and life and death and actually kill these animals and they actually see it firsthand versus digging your nose in the books and assessing the numbers all day. You know, there's a yeah. big difference in the mentality that comes from those types of people from those two different places. Right. <laughs> yeah. It definitely is. So it's, when I was first uh, documenting all the the structures in the water back in the early 2000s and i got got over here and I'm like oh my I, god I, just before you say I, I, do you know my father my dad's mark miller with uh oh yeah yeah oh, really? <laughs> yeah yeah the, just so uh, you know like i so i grew up fishing, no wait, primo DC. fish primofish.com gotcha and, yeah, yeah. He, so he you know like he's been involved in the mississippi artificial reef program mm-hmm. in mississippi since the 80s so like since i was born every month we would have to go out and dive the reefs and survey them and he would write a report and i would go to the meetings with him and stuff like that oh, but it was like no a, no it was like a huge uh you know part of my life was being involved in the artificial reef program well about two years ago he actually parted ways with them because they had a, a, a dmr agent he had two uh live red snappers that were like small we were going to put them in our aquarium at the house mm-hmm. And they wrote him a ticket for it, and a lot of things happened, and they actually kicked him out of the organization 
for oh doing God. that after being in there for 30 years and all the stuff That's that he crazy. did it's over two little red snappers that he probably <laughs> would never even have been around you know it's just <laughs> i don't know i hate to he would probably love that i said that <laughs> but uh just politics. while we're talking about it you know but, it's all uh, about politics but yeah go ahead and continue i just wanted to tell you that. so i don't know um early 2000s um when i first was uh when I first discovered what y'all were doing over here off of Alabama and Mississippi and Florida Panhandle, I was like, oh my God, look at this. These guys get it. They get it. You know? And those those reefs, just for Alabama alone, that equated to three or three to five hundred million dollars a year to those local communities. So these guys would go fishing, uh, and they would spend money at the marinas, they'd rent hotel rooms, eat in restaurants, and it was just huge economic engine. And mm-hmm. so I created a, um, these chart books, and on the right would be the, the chart, it would be 20 minute by 20 minute chart, and with basically 20 nautical miles north south, and uh, showed all the structures. And on the left page were the coordinates for what was on the right page, right? So. You could look at it and say, all right, hey, let's go over here and fish J&M Tackle Reef number 42. So they put the coordinates in their their chart plotter. They go over there. Whoa, hey, man, dang. That was awesome. Man, I sure, you know what? I appreciate J&M putting those reefs out like that. You know what? Next time I go buy my tackle, I'm going to go to J&M. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So you said, like, sold them as ads kind of. They, yeah, they, the uh, the Great Red Snapper Championship tournament that they had for many years, you had different entities and individuals uh, had the naming rights to those reefs. Mm-hmm. And so it became kind of an advertisement for those entities. Uh, Brett Robinson Realty, the city of Orange Beach. Um, That's pretty I cool. I mean, you name it, you know. Yeah. So I saw it, and I was like, man. You know, so I go back to Texas. I meet with Texas Parks and Wildlife. I'm like, hey. These guys over in Alabama are kicking our butts. We're Texas by God, you know? <laughs> so I proposed a thing called the Texas Great Barrier Reef, which was a reefing corridor that stretched from Louisiana border down to Mexican border, offshore of the Texas coast, uh, from seven and a half to eight and a half miles off the beach. So it was just inside Texas state waters. And uh, so Texas would manage it, not the feds. and it was uh, maybe 300 square miles of reefing zone. I mean, a quarter of the size of the Alabama zone that's in <laughs> one-seventh of the, the wow. distance, right? Mm-hmm. I, mean, the, I couldn't get it across. Uh, but uh, I do think I spurred them into um, developing their nearshore reefing program. And now they've got 100, these 160-acre sites off of each major port off Texas. And so uh, I started reefing. I started uh, making reefs on the dock down there back in uh, mid-2000s, I guess. And uh, I was trying to replicate, you know, where, hey, we could could, uh, promote these like what they did off Alabama and have it as a PR mechanism for companies off of Texas. Well, I didn't do so great and uh, ended up... uh, just uh, it, it, it just didn't really kick off like I was hoping, but I uh, hmm. I ended up developing a new process for producing artificial reefs, 
and we have four patents on the process. And, really? Yeah. So you take uh, sprayable concrete. Uh, it's called uh, uh, shotcrete. Mm-hmm. And so we, we uh, spray this concrete onto a, a steel pyramid form that's on a rotating turntable. And so the guy's just standing there with this, uh, this spraying nozzle concrete. of concrete as this, uh, this form rotates and he builds it up like an ice cream cone. Wow. And so, and so you're making like the pyramids? Is it like uh-huh. the limestone ones or are those yeah. different? Really? Yeah, they're uh, concrete and limestone pyramids. Uh, ten I feet. can remember going out there with my dad, man, dropping them down. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're 10 feet wide and 8 foot tall and uh, they weigh about 6,400 pounds each. Wow. And um, Man, that's really cool. They're there. showing me pictures of them right now, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I dive them all the time, man. Those things hold a lot of fish for sure. So there's about 3,000 reefs on our site down there at Freeport. This is a, a while back. Wow. These are all pyramids. And so. Um, Man, that's we've, awesome. That's we've deployed really cool. uh, almost 4,000 in the last four years off of Texas, and I'm working on 1,400 more in Galveston right now. Wow, wow, man. You're so you're busy, busy, man. So yeah. Hilton's isn't just all you do, right? So you right. Yeah. you do that and you build build reefs. Do you do yeah. anything else? Um, I've got a um, I've got a new thing coming out in September where we um, basically go we're gonna go head to head with Sirius XM's fish mapping. So really? we'll bring Hilton's into the chart plotters and um, Wow, man, what are they going to come up with next? That's know, awesome. Man. It's a, I'm also working on some sargassum imagery um, that I'm hoping to, to bring in fairly quickly. Uh, I'm still in the process of that, but um, it's kind of a sketchy uh, source. It's just not real consistent. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to be up front when I put it in there I'll say hey you know it is what it is but it's better than nothing right, right. it know? only gets better right I mean I'm sure the service over the time over the years has only gotten better it's oh like yeah you, you start something new and then it just keeps yeah. that's what we do right exactly <laughs> it's never going to be a finished product it's always going to be a work in progress and you got to keep moving you got to keep innovating you got to keep you know yeah and yeah. listening to your customers um, yeah and um and, you know, I'm here on customer support here. Uh, here at this tournament, I've, I've probably, out of the 101 boats, I've probably got 98 of them. You know? <laughs> so I'm not here to sell. I'm just here to help them. Help them, And yeah. to answer questions or get on their boat. and Talk with them. And to line them out on the app and, and so forth. So uh, the first, second, and third place Marlin were all my guys. Uh, nice. Uh, first and second place tuna the 212 204 and i'm not sure about the third place i haven't looked uh, i'm not real I, I don't know those guys personally but i got a lot of a lot of customers i don't i don't i have yeah, you don't know, right, yeah. but it's so great to be back on the docks and uh, be able to see everyone it's uh you know last year was really kind of a how do people year. uh if the people want to subscribe to uh to Hilton's, how do they do that? Uh, go to Hilton'sOffshore.com. Offshore.com, and, and how much is it for the subscription? It starts at two hundred dollars a year. Two hundred dollars a year. Yeah. Wow, cool. I mean, last year during COVID, uh, we we offered uh, uh, smaller time frames, so you can do one day for twenty nine ninety nine, or a week for forty nine ninety nine, or a month for uh, seventy four ninety nine. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. cool. 
So it's, that's uh, a really awesome service that you get to provide to people. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And I, you know, I've met so many great people over the years. It's, uh, I mean, yeah. just walking down the docks and you see the, the same people year after year. We'll see them again in a couple of weeks over in East, yeah, the yeah. ECBC and Destin. That's the coolest part about fishing, man, is all the camaraderie and the people that you know yeah. and you meet and everything. And man, and I really appreciate like all that you're doing, man, with the reefs and with Hilton's and helping every, and speaking out the way that you are right now, you know, on this podcast, it's really cool. Right. to uh to hear you know people like you have these opinions about uh what's going on with our natural resource yeah going back to the that. reefs just real quick um i foresaw <clears throat> the the removal of the rigs and so there was no plan at the federal level to mitigate the loss of all this what i consider fish essential essential fish habitat mm-hmm. and so these artificial reefs are going to do nothing but get more and more important in terms of helping the fisheries um they, they help everybody. They help the fish, they help the fishermen, and they help the, the coastal communities that, uh, where they're placed off of. So um, I think that it, that's something that we can control at the ground level. We can't control what happens at the federal level. I kind of just gave up. Trying, you can just give up, you think? I, and I'd go, go to, I'd go to the meetings and pound on the podium and I mean, shake like, my fist. I mean, like, you know, I asked you the question earlier, like, what would you do to fix it? Like, and you said, you know, you know, fire, but beyond firing these people, how, like, what, what do we do to fix it? Like, what would be the best thing for the, you know, people that actually care about this resource? What, what stance should we have on it? Have, that's the biggest problem with recreational is we, we don't have the answer, right? Right. And we're not organized. <laughs> right. That's the thing. Well, we're not being funded by uh, the Environmental Defense Fund that's poured. I mean, one of their front groups is called the Charter Fishermen's Association. They, they've given them mm-hmm. millions of dollars over the years. The, the uh, commercial catch, let's see, what's the, the Reef, Reef Fish Share, Shareholders Alliance. That's another Environmental Defense Fund front group. Mm-hmm. That's the commercial side. And when they they put in, I think seventy thousand dollars, the 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 reef fish, the Gulf Reef Fish Shareholders Alliance funded the Charter Fishermen's Association's founding, which was money funneled from the Environmental Defense Fund through the Shareholders Alliance, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so um, you'll never hear these guys talk about the Environmental Defense Fund at the at the meetings because they don't they don't really <laughs> want you to know that. They're actually speaking for uh, this environmental corporation, and it's uh, so I would abolish catch shares. They're not needed. They're not wanted. Um, you know, a, another example of the, the charade that's happening at the Gulf Council was when um, they put out all these public notices. Hey, give us your input. Do you, are you for or against sector separation? Well. It was overwhelming. It was like 97% against. Right. And so when uh, Emily Muelstein... So whenever you say abolish catch shares, does that necessarily mean abolish commercial fishing? No, hell no. No, commercial fishing is certainly a very important component. Um, You know, there's ways to do it where uh, you don't throw the baby out with the the bathwater. You could still give them a a quota to for them to fish but they should be paying the american public uh, a royalty for that yeah, yeah they they should but like i just <clears throat> whenever 
like it, it's whenever we met, put a price tag on all our wild game and you could go out and sell it, right? We ended up with nothing. Exactly. Yeah, ducks and the deer. And, and the deer and everything you could go sell it. So like for them to be able to like like commercial fishermen to me, it doesn't make sense because like if you like you got to make the locals like the person that's actually catching this fish. I'm hearing a lot of your dad come, coming out here. <laughs> yeah, it is. It definitely know, is, man. man. He definitely started with that. Yeah. But like, like I just don't understand how we can continue to put a price tag on the natural resource and make it sustainable. That just doesn't seem sustainable to you. Do you like disagree? Mm-hmm. It's okay if you disagree. Like I want, like I want somebody to change my mind. <laughs> I got you. Um, I believe that that commercial fishermen and charter fishermen, uh, headboats, they're all a, a very important component to the fabric of our coastal communities. So I think they're, I mean, I'm not against any of them. I think they're all. All right. Just, so like local communities. So like, do you believe that somebody should be able to catch a red snapper here and sell it in Chicago? Um, I'm not, yeah, I don't know about that. I think, uh, yeah, I think if it's, you know. If it's, it's sustainable, it's, right? It's the American way. It's, it's, uh, you know, I mean, we haven't been doing it like this for that long. So, like, how long is it sustainable? We've only been doing it like this for, like, 60, 70 years. Yeah, but like I said, like that great red red snapper count shows, there's three times as many. I mean, there's, like, 800, <laughs> there's a lot, right? 800 million pounds, yeah. 110 million snapper. Yeah, it's just like the pogies, right? There's, like, a lot that we can keep catching because like, they take million, hundreds of millions of pounds of pogies out of the Gulf every year. And they can continue to do it, so it's not like yeah. they're taking like all of it, you know. Yeah, I, I, I do have a problem with pogie boats. I, I, they catch more than just pogies, and when you start targeting the forage fish, yeah, that's going to affect the fish down the line. And you, see, I think that like I guess the common to middle to this would be is like we can't keep with the nets. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Taking mass populations of fish out. Which is what we're doing with catch shares in a way with Red Snapper. You're taking like lots of fish out at one time. And it just, the way that I see it though is that there's a lot of waste as well that comes in. Like like these guys over here that we're watching cleaning this fish, they should be able to sell their carcasses if they want to. Like they should be able to make like fish food out of that. Like there's a lot of value in it because it's so regulated. We can't use all of it. You know what I'm saying? And you can't like you. And if you catch too much, like a lot of people normally do, you can't sell it. You can't put it to waste or to use. You have to go give it away or whatever, which is good too, I guess. But I would say that that I have great faith in the different fisheries commissions, the Texas Parks and Wildlife, um, you know, Alabama DNR. I know you probably have a problem with the Mississippi. Yeah, Not really, man. Uh, I don't like when they target people that are actually helping the community that yeah, we're in. Exactly. <laughs> the, I have I have more faith in the state fisheries commissions than I do the feds. Yeah. And so they actually have understand the science that and they implement the science. The the feds do not. They they uh, they have an agenda and it has nothing to do with science. And so I would, again, take away any of the fisheries management away from the feds, delegate it to the states, and that includes commercial fishing. So the, the state of Texas should be able to, to regulate the amount of commercial fishing off of Texas. Um, you know, Louisiana and Texas have, I think, 
with through the great great red snapper count, it was actually somewhere close to 50% of the snapper. And I think it's around 20, 30% of the uh, effort, right? So uh, if you were managing uh, the resource for sustainability and um, for the best benefit, the maximum sustainable yield, yield to your communities, uh, if Texas and Louisiana should be able to manage their fish separately than what Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida are. And right, I want, right. I want the guys in Mississippi, Florida, and Alabama to fish as much as they can as, as what is sustainable right. according to the, to the actual science. I don't, I don't But do you rich. think that there's a way that you can do that? Like, because, yeah. like, we, we, we both say that the number is wrong already, so, like, like, why do we think, like, like, why, like, what is the number? What is the right number? How do we find that? I would start with the great red snapper count. That's a, a great beginning, you know, and, and throw the MRIP into the car garbage where it belongs. It's just a total, um, t totally, you know, in order for MRIP to be correct, the anglers out of Mississippi, um, need to be fishing illegally during February and March and reporting all of these illegal catches. <laughs> that's how stupid it is. That's how much stupid they think we are. Yeah. But that's I've also like I know some of the like the Biloxi charter fishermen and they'll do false reporting to like fill the quote their quota up first because they got uh, they got the federal reef permit. So the faster that they fill the quota for the state, then they can keep catching them and they don't have to keep catching them. So that's what I'm saying is like all the numbers to me are just so flawed and I think that if 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 we as a community can start agreeing that we want to be able to keep fish throughout the year but we don't want to be able to keep too much I'm sorry but 60 mangroves a boat is too much you know right. 30 grouper in a boat or 27 right. yellowfin tuna is too much like I feel like we just got to start coming together and agreeing like what too much is and stop trying to assess all these snapper by these numbers that are pretty much, in my opinion, made up because there's no way to know. But I, I don't know. That's just my two cents on that. Well, and like I said, you know, what happens off of Texas has no bearing whatsoever what happens off of Mississippi and vice versa. Right. So what you guys do Here, should right. be local in terms of management, uh, but... It's not, that's not the way it's happening. It's they're managing uh, All as the same. one big unit across <laughs> the Gulf. Yeah. And it, they refuse to answer any kind of questions that are contrary to their agenda. Yeah. You say, We're, show me the science. Well, they can't. It's really strange too, because like as a guide, like I can go fish, I can go catch snapper at the seven mile rig out of South Pass, which is in 400 foot, foot of water. But I can't go I'm a couple miles south of there or you know in various different areas because they think that that's like a different stock of fish whenever i'm actually on the continental shelf <laughs> yeah well the other thing too is you know when i'm i'm developing charts and i'm you know you can pull up all the pipeline and platform locations across the gulf uh, through the beamer site mm -hmm. and um I can, you know, I'll, you can see when they've been taken out, you know, when they were taken out or when they were put in and what depth they're in and their location. Uh, but guess what? All of that stops at the state water boundary because the federal government 
does not have the authority to regulate the oil uh, pipelines and rigs inside of state waters. And so that's, that's due to the Tenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, the separation of state and federal powers. Right, right. And so they are ignoring the U.S. Constitution when they reach over that, that state water line and they apply those landings of state water fish to the federal quota. That's, uh, that's unconstitutional. They have no right to be right, right. Uh, meddling in state water business. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But you can't tell these guys anything. Yeah. Because they're, they're <laughs> it's a rogue organization. Uh, Following the science. NOAA Fisheries uh, simply is, um, it's, all, it's just a corrupt uh, following the following the money, you know, where do I, where do I get my golden parachute when I, after I do your bidding kind of thing, you know, so I just I uh, don't have much patience for them anymore. I don't go to the meetings and it's just a total waste of time yeah. to, to do it. So I just, that's so sad, man. Cause we need more people like you that know enough about this stuff and know, you know, what, uh, what direction we should go, you know, but I think that's a hard, the, the, I think with all this, the hardest problem is is that like you like me and you love this resource the same but we obviously have a different idea as to which direction we should go as like being recreational people and like i think that's that's one thing i'd like maybe in the future i'm not good enough at podcasting right now but in the future i would like to see kind of people merge their mentality a little bit more to where we can actually be organized yeah, you know, as a as a fishing group, kind of like the commercial guys did, um, you know, which direction we could take it is you know one thing, but like I think that's the biggest problem is everybody's got a different boat and they got a different idea as to what's too much or what the law should really be. <laughs> well, I got you. Yeah, I I agree. I just think my the only kind of difference is that I think it should be regional, uh, you know, because everything's regional your, yeah. your ecosystems your biomass your effort is regional yeah. so localized what what i do should over in texas shouldn't have any bearing on what you do over here in mississippi and yeah. in louisiana and um that's where it starts it has to start local mm-hmm. and it should stay local yeah you know yeah. so you just again we got this corrupt uh and inept organization <laughs> at the federal level that uh, has no business doing what they're doing mm-hmm. and um, it's just all I can do is what I can do at, at the local level I can help with the, the the state level you know the state fisheries managers are much more open to listening to you and to implementing what you, you know want, yeah. and you can help them you can you know I just started reefing and because they're kind of more or less getting elected at local level type ideas and decisions like that right yeah it's like it makes sense politicians you know you have more say at a local level of your city there's not enough people that care about it on like a federal level right you know what i mean it's like people in chicago why would they care about us localizing our resource (laughs) they they wouldn't they wouldn't want that they wouldn't want not to have red snapper in chicago you know that's right and that's again (laughs) so there's more people that want it like the way it is than there is people that might want it for the betterment of the resource. So you got the Environmental Defense Fund that are giving that's giving 
all this money, I mean, lots of money, to guys that, that uh, spout their, their position. And so not only do they pay for their hotel rooms and their airfare and their meals when they go to Gulf Council meetings, but they, they also send them up to Washington, D.C. Um, they walk into a congressman's office with a $5,000 check in their pocket and say, hey, I'm with the Charter Fishermen's Association and here's our position. And well, we're not doing that at, at the private <laughs> rec level. There's right. nobody doing that for us. But yeah. we're not being funded by this organization that has other ulterior motives in terms of uh, converting our, our public trust resources into private assets so that's the big disadvantage and I don't know if we could ever overcome that yeah you know? that's a bummer and like you say <laughs> you know a guy you know a congressman over in uh, Wyoming has no or wherever you know they, yeah. don't, they don't care about what our our interests are but if, you know if the guy walks in his office and slaps down a here's here's a check yeah here's our position well, I mean, that's the way the system works. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, it's not illegal or anything. Yeah, I think it kind of comes down to the people, like, the way that we become in America is we're so money-driven, and, like, people use that as, like, their sort, source of motivation. Because, like, I, I'm honestly, I'm not very money-motivated. I'm a fishing guy. I, like, my passion for the water is kind of what drives me. Yeah. And the love yeah. for the sport and everything. But, like, whenever politicians, like, like I would – hope to think that their motive in life should be in the way that they get their motivation should be through like wanting to help the American people but that's not the case whenever they put money over in front of that like do we really care about you know what's best for the people or are we going to care more about the, the money that's going to be in our bank account and the sad reality about America is most of the time it's the money that they take yeah I mean they'll, they'll start out with good intentions and then then they get corrupted uh there was a congressman over in the Florida... Temptation, right? It's a bad yeah, thing. <laughs> it is. There was a congressman over in the Florida Panhandle, uh, Steve Sutherland, that was out of Panama City. And um, he got it, man. He, and he stood up, and he, he, was, uh, he was fighting the good fight. And um, the Environmental Defense Fund uh, would, would fund these, all these big billboards on the highways. Steve Sutherland... Mm-hmm. Fisheries, public fisheries, number enemy number one, and they <laughs> they mounted this huge campaign and they got him out. Damn. Yeah, they just, wow. They had, I mean, they had uh, one guy. Uh, I never heard about that. That's pretty awesome. Though. Some guy, some commercial guy, posed as a uh, as a charter operation. He had some kind of a bogus website, and, that, and they had him. And that's what they said. Who paid for that billboard? Well. <laughs> It was. It's just a joke, you know. I mean, but <laughs> nobody really understands it, and it's yeah. just one of these things. You just, you know, just after a while, you just shrug your shoulders, and I mean, yeah. I get up there and, and pound my fist, and then I look around, and I don't have any support in the audience. Really, it's all, it's all the guys that are being paid to be there, and they're yeah. all. Yeah, I, I've I been to some of those meetings, man. It's hard to watch some of that stuff. I know, man. It is. <laughs> There's a. Again, uh, there was a Texas charter captain at one of the meetings over in Texas, and he stands up there and spouts, yeah, well, ever since sector separation, you know, the charter for hire is more accountable, and we've underfished our quota uh, ever since sector separation. And so he's walking back down the aisle, and I'm like, hey, captain, 
Um, you know, that's I, I, I appreciate your your speech there. So now that you're more accountable, uh, can you give me the Texas charter boat landings? Uh oh. Well, no, I, no, no, I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, you're more accountable, right? So account. No, I I'm under I'm under contract. You know, I, I can't not fit blah, 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 blah. So <laughs> so so much for quote unquote accountability. It, and it sounds good, but if you look at the 2016 numbers. Um, the, these are the federal landings numbers, uh, according in Texas. And I, you know, Texas Parks and Wildlife is a little bit different on the landings. Is that they they're responsible for the landings, not MRIP. And so, and that's on Texas Parks and Wildlife. They there's something going awry there on the charter boat landings. They just don't get it right. Yeah, you know, I, I'll say straight up. So back then, <laughs> they said according to their numbers that the the 219 federally permitted charter boat uh, guys landed 20,000 pounds of red snapper during this 46-day season. Yeah. 20,000 pounds per, for 219 boats is something like 90 pounds per vessel for 46 days. That's not per day. That's for the entire 46-day season, like two pounds a day. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, that's not it's right. It's a joke. <laughs> So if you look at the same numbers that year for like the guys off Alabama, uh, the charter boats landed somewhere around 5,000 pounds per vessel, per federal, oh, federal not, not 90, uh, 5,000. <laughs> and that, and that's more reasonable. That's more realistic. You know, that's, that's, I, you know what, that's probably what happened. That's good. Good for those guys. They, <laughs> they caught some good fish for their customers. That's right. Right. So if you apply that same, um, you know, same poundage and um, toward, or just calculate, say, you know, however many, whatever many pounds the, a charter boat would go out, realistically, land, and, and the fish are bigger off Texas. I mean, they're, they are. They're mm -hmm. just, uh, those guys, and I got a lot of charter guys, I got a lot of respect for them. They're, they, they, they're professionals, they, they know how to put their customers on fish. They're very efficient. Yeah, we're not getting any worse at fishing. That's no, for sure. no, no, man. <laughs> and so they're not catching 90 pounds. They're catching, you know. Uh, but if, if you is. put realistic numbers to, to the pencil, uh, you know, they probably overfished their quota by uh, 500,000 pounds. So wow. that's going to be the interesting thing with the electronic logbooks is what's going to happen to the Texas charter landing. That's why I, need, I think we need to take it and throw it against the wall. And don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm serious because it, all it does is make this bad debate that we're trying to have. And it doesn't make any sense to me because none of the numbers are correct to begin with. And like how many people know, like if you catch like that boat over there had 12 red snapper. How many pounds is that? <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, were they 16 inches? Were they yeah. I mean, 30 pounds? Like, I mean, I, I, from what I know, 12 red snapper on this boat and 12 red snapper on this pound, you could have a couple hundred yeah. pound difference. <laughs> yeah, and that's where, you know, it makes sense to regulate the commercial industry by the pound because they sell their They sell. Cash. They weigh it every day. They sell their catch by the pound. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to regulate the private wrecks or any, any wrecks, recreational fishermen as a whole, uh, by the pound. Because who cares what a deer weighs or what a, a duck weighs or a quail? Yeah, right? or a red snapper. Like, yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter. <laughs> <'Cause> the life is... <laughs> because the fisheries managers 
understand that, you know, as long as you have, I mean, there are regulations in place to protect uh, the spawning biomass, and you don't want to you don't want to catch a fish before it has a chance to spawn, spawn at least right. once, you know. So, yes, have some regulations on your size, but you, don't, you shouldn't be regulated by the pound. You yeah. should be regulated by the, by the fish. Yeah. So. Yeah. I definitely, man, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things to be said about uh, all this, man, but I'm not going to let us sweat it up too much anymore, man. <laughs> but I really do appreciate you coming and sitting down with me, but is there, uh, yeah. is there anything else, like, as far as conservation that you wanted us to, uh, like, one more topic, you know, just, like, is there anything we, like, we as fishermen could do as, as far as uh, conservation might go? I mean, man, you could talk about anything, sharks or... What, what step we should do to, yeah. to keep this fishery around us more? I will say that um, recreational fishermen have always been on the forefront of conservation. Mm -hmm. um, they don't, nobody wants to catch the last fish, you know, so. I disagree it, with that though, because like some of our limits, like do you agree that like that three yellowfin per person is not too much? Like, do you not agree with that? It, I mean, because to me, that's like, that's an internationally managed fishery. And they, they, they won't let us keep less because if we keep less than over in off of Africa, they, they can keep our fish, right? Yeah, it, it's kind of a tough, that's kind of a tough call because um, you just have to go with uh, and hope that the, the science is right. If, uh, you know, the, what you want to, what, in order to understand the entire picture, you need to take the entire picture into account, which includes commercial purse seining for tuna. Yeah. Um, how many tuna boats are out here in the Gulf, and what's their? How many tuna are they taking versus the amount of tuna that the, the recreational guys are taking? That's where I would start, and I don't know the answer this time, honestly. Yeah. But I would not look at it just from hey, there's three, three yellowfin per boat. Um, is that too much or too little? I don't know. Uh, I would say that that needs further discussion and you need to take the whole picture into account. If yeah. it, you know, it's like the commercial long lining for swordfish off the uh, east coast of Florida. Yeah. I mean, they had that open. Every, I mean, there were so many long lines out there that fishermen, you know, they were crisscrossing each other. You would you would snag into a long line and it was just a decimated fishery until they closed those areas to long lines. And I, and I will say that yeah. uh, that is one thing that I would recommend right off the bat is to eliminate the, this outlaw out, uh, long lines. That's an yeah. indiscriminate, it catches everything. You mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And so, uh, you know, go to more selective gear on the commercial side i just i don't know like you don't think that us as recreational people like there's only going to be more boats i mean every year you see more boats there's mm -hmm. more people doing it you think that we should still be pushing to try and keep more fish than what our regulations i mean you got to understand where i'm coming from too because i'm a guide in venice louisiana I guess. okay so i see these guys coming down and every day they're pounding the docks with meat haul after meat haul after meat haul meanwhile i can make the customer happy off of you know, a small limit of redfish or not even a limit of redfish, maybe like, you know, five or six redfish. Sometimes people are happy with. Yeah. And it's like, like I hear whenever somebody says that I feel like everybody can wants to continue to keep more. 
I don't I think that that's the mentality that this red snapper thing has created among people but I think what we want is not to be able to like I want to be able to go out and catch a red snapper at the same time when I can go buy it at the store like, yeah. you know what I'm saying like yeah. I, th- I feel like that's what we want but you do you still believe that we we need to keep we that we as recreational people want to continue to try and keep more and more fish and have less or we, do we want to keep having uh, less strict limits on our fish like do you, is that what you think we should move towards again it's I would go with what the science goes with whatever it yeah, says yeah but the science is we, we've already determined is flawed right I know but again um, you got to start somewhere right um, I don't think you know it like I said on the reef reef fish side if the federal government was really interested in um, increasing the biomass of, of snapper, they would look at Alabama and say, that's a, a shining example of a success story. Let's replicate that across the Gulf. Let's make more reefs, right, is what yeah. you're saying essentially. Yeah, but they don't do that. They, right. they, they, they don't even recognize the, the, the importance of artificial reefs. So, so what you're saying is, is the growth of habitat is what we need. We need more habitat, and yeah. in turn we would have more fish, so that's why you would like to continue to push for more limits for recreation like bigger limits for recreational English. it's like um it's like what you're saying is uh, you have a grocery store how many you know people are will that sustain you know you need yeah. more grocery stores out there right uh, i was at a artificial reefing summit over in uh, florida a couple of years ago and a, a preeminent artificial reefing expert gets up there and he says hey you know, the human population, you know, it stayed at a certain level because there was just, only, you know, only a certain amount of caves mm-hmm. that you could live in, you know. Right. And then somebody invented the condominium and then the population grew. Exploded, yeah, right? exactly. It's the so, same example, right? right? Yeah. So I'm like, hey, you know, I raised my hand and said, you know, I, I, I like that, that parallel, um, but I would add something more to that and say, let's build more condominiums. But at the same time, let's build more HEBs or publics around those condominiums to yeah. to develop food, forage fish for the fish that are on the on the big or the taller reefs, yeah. right? So you have their home, mm-hmm. and then they go over there and they'll forage out and go to this grocery store on these low relief reefs yeah. and uh, and eat, you know. So yeah. you, you you can feed, you know, provide a, a food source for them at the same time. Right. 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 But yellowfin is it's uh because they are an internationally uh I wouldn't even use yellow I think a mangrove snapper is a great example cuz like mangrove snapper we can keep 10 per person year round man and people go yeah. pound them like bad like I I'll go and dive them after they go and I'll see boats on them and go dive them and dude they literally like clean these things up and we can do it year after year so like maybe it's sustainable right <laughs> but to me it's like what are we trying to promote for recreational fishermen are we trying to tell everybody that what cool, like, cause that nobody knows what cool is whenever they get a boat. They, they're trying to figure it out, man. That's they, they get on a boat and they don't know if they want to fish. They don't know if they want to drink a beer. They don't know what cool is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way that I see it. <laughs> so at like me as a guide or like somebody that like takes these people fishing, what do I want to tell them cool is? Do I want to tell them that filling your freezer up as much as you can and then coming back with me once a year? Is that what the cool thing to do is? Or come with me five times a year, keep a little bit less fish, and have it fresh? Because frozen fish, honestly, to me, it sucks. It really right. does. It sucks. It's not that good. So, like, 
whenever I hear recreational people wanting more limits, I'm like, why? Why do you want more limits? Is it because, is that how you get your rocks off? Or is it because like, you like to fill freezer? Or like, should we take this other stance and say, no, we're just trying to go out and have a good time and have some fresh fish at the end of the day, you know? Uh, <laughs> you're walking kind of a dangerous line there because, um, and you start um, implementing regulations on fishermen based on um, on your your opinion, you know, or my opinion. Um, I just think again. Yeah, it's not it's not science based, right? I just yeah. you know, I I, I, always, I understand that side. I always kind of have to go back towards to the fisheries management uh, the commissions there in state at the state level. Yeah. Um, so, for instance. Um, Alabama, they've got 1,260 square miles of reefing zones, and Dave Walters, one of my competitors on the reefing side, he's done a great job over the years. Uh, he'll go out and you can uh, put a, a, a truly private reef out there, and he's the only one on the helm. When they drop it, he's got the he's the only one that's got that number in his hand. He gets to the dock, he hands you that number. That is, you're the only person to know where that reef is. So all these, uh, during the, the great Red Snapper Championship years, I think Zeke's and maybe Orange Beach Marina would actually mandate to some of the charter guys that were there, they, hey, you gotta put out uh, $10,000 worth of reefs every year in order to keep your boat here. You know, mm -hmm. so they understood it. You know? yeah. So then they put out these private reefs. Well, guess what do they do? They go out and they nurture them like a private garden and do like what you're saying hey let's just take one or two fish off of here we don't want to you know damage yeah. you don't want to nuke it right know? right and they that's how you build uh build the population sustainably now a commercial operation will go to a spot they'll anchor up and they will nuke it they will catch everything they will they will catch every single thing that will bite and they'll just stay there until they quit biting mm-hmm that is damaging to that ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. Right? So then they just don't go back to that one. They'll go to another one and nuke it, <laughs> right? So that's where you start. You start by developing a, um, an ethic, and I think that's where you're thinking. That's where you're coming at. I don't at. think it can do. I don't think that can be done commercially because, like, my motivation, like I said, my motivation as a guide is to love this resource and to share share it with other people, right? Yeah. Commercially. They're looking for that dollar, man. Every day of the week, they're looking for that dollar. There's no way that people can fish commercially and make it sustainable. I mean, just based off of what you just said, you know. <laughs> but uh, well, I mean, before they had the, the way the commercial um, industry is set up is they would fish the first ten days of each season of each month. So they kind of spread it out around spread the year. it around a year, yeah. and then. Uh, you're limited to uh, either 200 pounds or 2,000 pounds per vessel per on per day. Per day, right? right? Yeah. So you can't just sit on a on a spot and nuke it and, and take in 50,000 pounds off of one spot. Right. Right. That's where we're at today yeah. with catch shares. They can catch as many as they want yeah. at any time. They're, they're not. There's no limit on their trip yeah. limits. So again, uh, years ago, um, this environmentally uh, PAC commission, I think it was called MAFAC, I, I can't remember exactly, but um, their recommendation was this thing called Vision 2020, 
Do you remember Vision 2020? Mm-mm. Vision 2020, I think this is about the same time, I guess, that sector separation was really being pushed uh, around 2010. And so there were uh, there was this advisory group to the federal fisheries that was recommending, hey, by the year 2020, recreational fishermen uh, should be out there just, it's going to be all catch and release. Mm-hmm. They're out there and you need to promote the experience and not so much the take. Right. Right. That's what so, I try and do. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm, that's what I'm kind of alluding to is you're kind of, you're fine. You're, you're riding this fine line and I, I know we're your heart's in the right yeah. place. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. These guys, I don't think their heart was in the right place. They, <laughs> they want these guys going out there and making an aquarium out of the Gulf. And hey, that's a, look at those fish, but you can't keep any of them. At the same time, all the commercial guys are, are nuking these spots, yeah. right? Yeah. So there has to be some kind of a happy uh, medium in there. And uh, That's why I think we should all be able to play by the same rules, man. I don't think people, yeah. I don't know, man. That's just... And like, and and I I want to apologize for being so like so disagreeable. <laughs> no man, it's a good, it makes I, a good conversation. It does, it does, man. And I honestly, I want people to try and change my mind. Like, I want us to try and find like whatever the truth is. Like, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for yeah. like I want my I want my like my mindset to be in the right place. You I know what you. I mean? Like, I don't want it to be like I want to be able to like talk to my customers and stuff about conservation and then being like you know what that makes sense <laughs> you know right. so i i just wanted to apologize real quick no but man no. I, I, it was a it was a honestly a great conversation and uh you opened my eyes a little bit about a, a lot of different things so i really appreciate it and uh lastly man is there anything else you want to you want to say no just you? uh yeah thank you for the opportunity to to speak my mind here uh we yeah. don't really get to do that much. Uh, <laughs> it's fun, a, isn't it? Yeah. It really is, man. It's a lot of fun. So it's, uh, and, uh, again, appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate yeah. it too. And uh, everybody, make sure you go check out Hilton's if you need a subscription. And I'm going to give you this too. This is uh, Yellowfin Vodka. Guys, we are now sponsored by Yellowfin Vodka. So go get your bottle today. Um, it's some good stuff. I like it with uh, like lime and water or uh, sweet tea, man. But it's it's really really good. I love yeah. it. It's got like an oak taste to it. So That'd be pretty good in a Topo Chico. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, thanks, Tom. We'll see y'all later. Okay, see y'all next time, guys. Yes. Thank thanks for listening, everybody. Please give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram at Tunatown Talks. Also, if you'd like to book a charter with me. You can do so by visiting our website at mgfishing.com. That's Mexican Gulf website, where you'll find my online booking calendar with all my open dates. And remember, guys, always be safe while out on the water.